Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their insights. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'd also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about autism stories. On today's episode, Sebastian Joseph joins us to discuss their work as a direct support professional, sheltered workshops, and their love of rats. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Sebastian, thanks so much for joining me here on Autism Stories. Thank you for having me. Wanted to uh, start off by learning where does your story in the autistic community begin? Yeah, thank you for asking. So I was diagnosed as autistic when I was 10. Technically, it was Asperger's, but I don't like to define myself by that label, especially given Hans Asperger's history and everything. So I just like to identify as autistic. And I basically had a lot of trouble socializing growing up but in high school was actually very easy for me people were very easy going and accepting so that went really well for me where things really hit the fan I would say and where I started getting into the autistic community and being involved with the neurodiversity movement was when I was in college so a little bit of background before I went to college I remember there was an alumni who came to my high school when I was a senior, was a friend of mine, and I was asking him about college, and I was asking him if people accept people in college who are strange and stuff like that. And he was like, oh, yeah, you can act however you want in college, and people still accept you. It's really, really awesome there. And so my parents were basically also telling me that, you know, college is the place where you would find your lifelong friends there and that people are very accepting. And so being autistic, I took that statement very literally. And so flash forward to when I go to college, I basically went there with the mindset of I could do whatever I want and people will still accept me. And I ended up doing some very dumb things as a result. And it ended up making people afraid. Like for example, I would just act as edgy as possible like I would just make violent jokes and things like that because I thought people would accept it and think it was cool. And that ended up not being the case. But at the same time, nobody told me that. So I went under there with the guys that, well, you know, it's college, I can do it, it's okay. Nothing's gonna happen, people will still accept me. And you know, that wasn't happening. And then as the months went by freshman year and people were not inviting me to parties anymore and stuff like that toward the end of the year I was like hey something's weird what's going on here and so I talked to my former roommates who moved out away from me during the the middle of like between the semesters like in the second semester they lived elsewhere and I should have taken that as a sign but you know I was very naive at the time and so I was asking them, you know, what, what happened? Why aren't you guys inviting me? And so they told me the truth that I made people afraid and that people didn't want to be around me. And it 
it hit me like a, a ton of bricks. I That was literally the first time I ever had a shutdown. Like I could barely move. Thankfully, where the where the cafeteria was that they were telling me, my dorm was right next to it, so it didn't take much walking. But once I got there, I laid down in my bed and I wanted to die. I had no hope anymore. I like dreamed of me being with these guys and getting an RV with them and driving across the country with them and having that just not happen and being told the truth like that for after so long after a year it it hurt really bad and i felt very isolated and alone and i just did things because i didn't know better and all i wanted at the end of the day was friends and so i did i ended up having one friend for eight years he was a good friend and a mentor of mine but he ended up, when I came out as non-binary a couple of years ago, he showed his true colors and ended up very being very transphobic. So I've had to sever that relationship. And so, yeah, I don't really have any friends from college left after that. But anyway, the what led what have gotten how that got me into the autistic community was when I was in college, I remember I was writing a screenplay about an autistic rights activist who goes about things the wrong way. And because at the time I felt like my civil rights were violated, but now, you know, at like in the present day, I have acknowledged that at the time I really was an a-hole and that I just, I made people afraid and it was my actions that were wrong. And yeah, it took a lot of time to acknowledge, but I feel a lot better for doing so. Anyway, after college, discovered that there actually was an autistic rights movement and I looked into it and I followed the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network and Neuroclastic and Neurodivergent Rebel and AIM and all those people. And I started to, you know, make friends with a lot of those people. And for once, I finally found a group of people who could embrace me and accept me for how I was and who understood where I was coming from and who basically loved me. And that's how my journey into the autistic community began. Now, currently you work as a direct support professional, which I think is such a critical job in supporting autistic people. So in my area, my regional area, it's definitely difficult to not only find uh, direct support professionals, but, but ones that are helpful to us as autistics. What are some things you've done as a direct support professional that you think has been helpful to those that you've supported? Basically, as a direct support professional, I think one of the things that has given me an edge for the most part is being able to relate to them and their struggles. Like, for example, there they have so many things in common with me that I've done basically one of those at least one of the things from each client like i've had meltdowns i've had like i need sensory input a lot i um not being understood things like that and i've been there to show them that they're not alone basically most of the dsps of course are neurotypical or holistic and so being one who could actually relate to them on a more grounded level helped them a lot and I don't really, you know, I know being 
helping them be independent is very important, but I don't like to pressure them. And I think that puts them at ease a lot of the time. So I think that's also been helpful to them as well. Judith Human once said that independent living is not doing things by yourself. It's being in control of how those things are done in your life. So in thinking about that, what are some general principles that you think are important in giving each person the opportunity to be or to have as much control as possible in their lives that you work with? Well, to me, more than anything, you got to treat their words as legitimate. If they say someone is treating them badly, listen to them and believe them. In the field, you have no idea how many times I've heard others say the clients are talking nonsense when they have very legitimate concerns, especially regarding how they're treated. It, it's such an important point. I mean, it's a simple point, but it is so important. It's just so, so often people just don't listen to us as autistics and believe what we say. I know. I've been through it myself, and it hurts. Just because you're disabled, people not believing you, it it sucks. And at the end of the day, in my experience, almost all the autistics I know are the most honest people I've ever met. So it's kind of an oxymoron. Now, we're definitely in need of more direct support professionals out there. And I think there could be many autistic people that could do really well in this role. Now, I know it's different in each state, but what was the process for you in becoming certified to becoming a direct support professional? Honestly, it wasn't that hard. Me being autistic certainly helped. When I was being interviewed, I framed it as being autistic can be an advantage in how I approach the job, which turned out to be true. There are definitely DSPs who've done certain things more proficiently than me, but I feel like for me personally, where I shine is being able to connect with them on a personal level. There are a couple other DSPs I've met, but it's a rarity. One thing we all have in common is how well we connect to the clients on a personal level. Every client I've had shares at least something I've experienced, such as parental trauma, not being believed, meltdowns, being an outcast, as I mentioned before. But with that also comes attributes such as art, feeling people's energy on a deep level and absorbing it ourselves and not caring what people think of us. Now, I always, I've said this many times on this podcast, um, energy is my number one way to communicate. So I'm just wondering, hearing you talking about energy, how do you use that or, or do you use that in, in your role as a direct support professional? Yeah, like when they're escalating, I just know immediately when it's about to happen. And I can very often, yeah, I absorb it and I just see and feel their pain. Like when they're not being listened to, I feel that pain. When they when they feel like, they're, like their rights are being violated, I feel that pain. And it's like I'm, it's happening to me too. And that's why I, you know, try to develop a lot of camaraderie with them. Now, beyond being a DSP, you've been a journalist and have written articles for Neuroclastic. One article you wrote a couple years ago was regarding sheltered workshops and how so often disabled people in these workshops are paid well below minimum wage for the work they do and how this is state-sanctioned ableism. 
Where do you see things a couple years later in regard to sheltered workshops and the respect shown to the disabled workers in them? Yeah, so there are pros and cons to the situation. As a leftist, workers' rights are valuable to me. I believe workers need to have a say of how their workplaces are run, where labor is performed, each according to their ability, and resources distributed, each to their own need. Unfortunately, many disabled people, especially those with greater needs, can get taken advantage of and brought to work somewhere that pays below minimum wage, as you said. Fun fact, the founder of Goodwill created that concept, which is a massive reason I don't shop there. I believe all people deserve a living wage, regardless of how productive they are according to the eyes of the capitalist. A lot of places that operate like this are getting closed down, thanks to the wonderful disability advocates out there fighting the good fight. But at the same time, when it comes to work, very few places will give opportunities to those people coming from the sheltered workshops. I don't understand how a job can be a privilege and not a right, especially in the supposed richest country in the world. The idea of seeing people, seeing particular people as more deserving of work than others is an idea deriving of colonialism mixed with eugenics, from what I've analyzed. And in that article, I put a screenshot of an encounter I had with a particular organization online calling me delusional for suggesting those workers should get paid more, saying that no one would hire them, especially if they needed someone assisting them the whole time. Well... Guess what? If hiring disabled people means the CEO can, has to have three mansions instead of five, how much is really being lost here? It is most illogical to me how someone can defend a practice so archaic, especially in 2024. If hiring means extra help, then so be it. Everyone desires, deserves a right to work at a job of their choice for a living wage, and I will die on that hill. Could I add a little something about your um, question about being a DSP? Sure, please do, Sebastian. Yeah, so I actually had to transfer to the adult program because in the kids program with like teenagers, they are put through a lot of behaviorism, like a point system where they basically had to had to get seven, seven points, or no, 17 points out of 20 every day, and they would get a ticket, which is basically a dollar that they could use on candy or whatever. And part of that was about like, you know, don't get in someone's way, don't yell, use a conversational tone, um, do all your hygiene, all these things. And I can tell you not one of them enjoyed that system. They were miserable. And I was there for a long time because I, I feel like I was the only one who could be in their corner. And it ended up draining me in the process. And Everything they did was treated as a behavior when there was so much more than that. And it just hurt to have to watch them suffer like that. And I, the thing is, though, that my job didn't really dictate that. It was more of, you know, the state. They were following the state's orders because the state funds it. And so, like, the, the managers really had no other choice in the matter but to implement those things, unfortunately. But at some point, I just had enough of that, and I had to go to the adult program because the adult program just doesn't have those issues. The adults actually have rights, and they can stand up for themselves. The kids, they can't. They're basically at the mercy of their parents the entire time, and it's it sucks. I really wish that 
the kids had more rights than they do. They're basically just the property of their parents. And that's something I've realized after analysis that that's just in our culture in general. Kids are the property of their parents and kids very much, the, the parents usually have a say over the kids no matter what's happening to the kids. And that's, it's scary and that needs to be completely overhauled to me. In following you on social media, it seems like you enjoy something that many people might not, and that is rats. What is it about rats that you've connected with and has brought joy to your life? Yeah, so rats, like with many animals, they, first of all, don't judge you. They love you unconditionally as you are. And rats, for a good reason, are called pocket puppies, you know, because they love to to climb into your pockets and hang out in your hoods and stuff because they're so small and they love to get close to you, which I always love. I've always loved animals that are very affectionate because I need very overt affection to know that people love me. And having that has always been very enriching for me. And I try to play with them as much as I can and give them as much love as I can. And I also have a, a dog and a cat and they mean a lot to me too. I love them all very much. How does the dog, cat, and the rats interact with one another? Well, the cat, his name is Dracula. He loves to mess with the dog all the time, like just swiping him or like trying to lay on top of him and stuff, and the dog's just not having it. They're like around the same size too. And the the rats I have in a cage, which is very well protected. The bars are very thin, so they don't have to worry about the cat. And then when they free roam, I just bring them into another room and they run around. And then lastly, Sebastian, how can our listeners learn about you beyond this interview? I've honestly been very inactive on social media lately. I've been trying to take a, a detox, but if they do feel the need to follow me they can follow me on at, at sebastian the dude on instagram it's just s-e-b-a-s-t-i-a-n the dude no spaces at yeah just sebastian the dude and that's it well, and i think that would be the best place to follow me at well so sebastian i really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit thanks so much for joining me here on autism stories Thank you so much for having me, Doug. I appreciate it. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks so much to Sebastian for the conversation. To learn more about Sebastian, please check out the links in the podcast description for this episode. Here at Autism Personal Coach, our clients are the experts, our coaches are the guides. The majority of supports for our autistics are not helpful. They try to fix us, not support us. That's why many are confused when we say our clients are the experts, experts of their lived experience. Our clients are the experts for what has worked for them and about the things they need and want in their lives. Our coaches first listen to our clients and then ask thoughtful questions, offer resources, and strategize with our clients so they can get what they need to thrive. Would you want a guide in your life to coach you to get you the things you desire? If so, then visit AutismPersonalCoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone else you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. 
Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.